Hey, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That's me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. It's been a long time, and that's just how it's going to be, I think, for the foreseeable future because I don't like putting out rushed episodes that I don't care about, so I would rather put out one a month that I am proud of and had a good time doing than a bunch of months that I'm not. Um, and, uh, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you get to hear my decency with DeLorean episodes where I overshare and whine and beat myself up about stuff, but you're a little more uh, up to date on what I'm doing with my life. Um, if you're not a subscriber, I'll fill you in. Um, I work a lot, which I hate and is exhausting and degrading. And I think I'm way too pretty to work as hard as I am. I also uh, am starting school in three weeks to become a Pilates instructor, and that is going to occupy a lot of my time for the next six months, and um, it's just one of those things that I have to do because I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I am miserable at work. I hate drunk people. I hate having such a physical job that wears me out um, when I would rather be. It's so funny, like the difference between good worn out, like if you do CrossFit or Pilates or you run and you're worn out and you're sore, but it's a positive way instead of uh, when you do manual labor, it just feels like you are eroding away at your own body. You're just wearing it out for someone else's dime. And um, emotionally, I am at a breaking point where I really can't be around drunk people anymore. It's making my sobriety super difficult. Um, I recently quit marijuana in addition to the fact that I don't drink. And um, it's challenging because, you know, I, well, we all deserve a little bit of bliss. And one enjoys, I like my favorite thing, I'm all, one enjoys. I enjoy getting home from work, taking an edible and becoming one with my mattress um, and just, you know, watching something and uh, having kind of a psychedelic experience from an edible. Um, But I was noticing it was making me groggy and slow to get going the next day. I wasn't getting like things accomplished that I wanted to accomplish. And so it had to go because that's just how I am as a person. I have to constantly be growing and bettering myself and be the person that I want to be. And if something runs contrary to that, be it a relationship or a drug, it's got to go. And it's really difficult, I think, being a person in society today where we are surrounded by a lot of losers and quitters. And it's kind of the mainstream culture. Nobody wants to try to do anything hard. Obviously, physical fitness isn't that popular. Eating healthy isn't that popular. Learning isn't that popular. Reading isn't that popular. If you fucking read, people think you're a weirdo with no friends. Not that you would actually maybe prefer learning something. And then when you do see your friends, you have something to talk about. No, 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 no. If you read, you're a weirdo. You're supposed to fucking order delivery food. You're supposed to get Uber Eats and you're supposed to binge watch. And that's what you do. And while you're binge watching, you're going to scroll through social media. And all of that leads to being a very unhealthy, both physically and mentally person. Um, But that's that is normal. 
And I cannot be that person. When I go through phases of my life where I do, I'm letting work beat me up. I'm wearing, it's wearing me out. In my free time, I just want to get high and watch TV. I just think, well, now, now culture is winning. And now I'm a person I don't like or respect. So we'd had to go. I got to get up in the morning and be productive and really shoot my shot, blow my load before I go into work. And I have that all taken away from me. Um, and so, yeah, it's just hard working in a restaurant and or a bar and you see people and they're drinking and they're eating junk food and it does look really good and it feels normal. It becomes normalized. And so I found myself, I was having like a hard seltzer here or there. And like, I just, cause also I'm in a relationship with someone who drinks and, um, I just, I had to reach, I, I reached a point where I was like, this isn't happening anymore. I'm not drinking if you want to drink, you can drink. I don't want it at my house. This is not how my life is going. Okay. I live a life that I guess people either admire because of my self-discipline or they think that I'm missing out on a lot of fun because of my self-discipline. And you know what? Those Both of those angles are correct. Um, but it's really important for me to be, uh, I guess, abnormal because I want to be above normal. And so... I feel like if I stay in the career that I'm in right now, which albeit affords me a very comfortable living where I'm allowed to, you know, live, live alone and drive a nice car and whatever, I am going to succumb to being a fat, lazy drunk. And that's not who I am or who I want to be. I am an athletic artist. And so um, I just like, it's just sometimes you get in these ruts in life and uh, I think people call it adulthood where you lose inspiration to do things and create them because you don't have a collective, collective momentum of people around you doing it. Um, I don't work out at home. I'm very bad about working out at home. But when I go to the gym or a workout class, I fucking love working out because I'm around other people doing the same thing that I'm doing. And so it was very similar, you know, when I was in art school, I was more productive with art because I was around it more. I don't even, well, I don't really have friends. <laughs> Let's be real. I don't have friends. I'm not good at interpersonal, inter, yeah, interpersonal relationships. But like, not only do I not really have a lot of friends, but I don't have like friends who are artists. And so like, I used to have friends where I'd bring my laptop over and we would just like, they'd work on their computer, I'd work on mine, or like they'd come over and they would sew and I would crochet or whatever. Um, and I just don't have that in my life. And I'm, um, rather than beat myself up about a, like a lack of self-discipline, I'm changing my life so that I am not only doing the things that I want to do, but that I'm surrounded by people with the same goals and ambition. I love the saying where it's find people who are doing what you want to do and hang out with them because it will eventually get you where you need to be. It's just a collective momentum. So I have adult ADD. I think anyone who knows anything about me could probably tell. I've had seven different careers. I have a collection of college degrees. I change my mind about things a lot. I accomplish goals and decide I want to do something totally different. It is who I am. So sometimes I am... Um, hesitant to say what my new goal is because it's like well Sydney it fucking changes every day I can't keep up like you're just stock but anyways the current goal is finish Pilates school work my butt off um teaching I'm I'm doing um 
a high level certification and then I'm going to get what they call bridge training to be licensed to work for club Pilates. So it's bridge training where you learn their methodologies. And the reason is that they have a chain. They always are... um, They always need coverage, right? So my goal is finish my high level training, learn the like, get the club Pilates bridge training, and then I'm just going to fucking work. If there's a a Pilates class in the valley that needs a teacher, I will sub. I'm just gonna pound the payment pavement, Um, and because I am a club Pilates member, I know about staffing shortages and shuffling and coverage, and that's where your girl is gonna come in, and so. The goal is to get these certifications, do that, work, 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 which will in turn make me a better teacher. I think my biggest fear coming out of school is that I will not um, be teaching enough to get good at it. And I just think to get to be good at something, you need to do it a lot. And I'm very good at Pilates um, and I want to be a good teacher. I don't want to just get by. I want to be good. So I want to just do that. And um, at that point, you know, cut down to maybe two days a week of bartending, teach, 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 so I can build up um, a resume and a skill set. And what I'm trying to do in February is buy a piece of land in a uh, ghost town (laughs) and an artist community ghost town, which I almost don't want to give it away. Um, But also, if you you do know me, you know what I'm talking about. Um, But there's a land auction in February, where hopefully I can get a deal on a lot there. The nice thing about it being a ghost town, um, and a modern ghost town, I should say, is that there are city services at the property line. So there is electric and water, etc. Um, and so that's the goal for February, and then which is around the time I graduate, and then have a year of just pounding the pavement and teaching and building up a resume. And then the next year, buy an RV and hopefully move on to the property. And so I will, that'll be my full time residence. And um, I will then, you know, be basically an hour from several cities where I can just hopefully teach Pilates at those cities. And um, uh, my cost of living will be low because my land will be paid off and my RV will hopefully be paid off. And I can just kind of live more of a life that I want to live where number one, I'll be traveling um, in my favorite area of the, uh, in the entire country, which is, well, I'll just give it away. It's, it's the um, Joshua Tree, Mojave Desert sort of area of Southern California. Um, <laughs> if you've ever been to Coachella, you know the area. Um, but it's, you know, it's close to Palm Springs, Riverside. There's a lot of cities around there. And I'm just going to be kind of mobile and hopefully have um, gigs at Pilates Studios all around that area because there are plenty and um and then go home um to my little quiet town because um just i i moved back into central phoenix after my breakup and it's just really getting to me the traffic and the crowds and the people and the bombs and all of it and i i it's it's mentally stressing and so i've been doing a lot of things like um 
downsizing so I can get ready for this move. And I think people in my life probably think I'm going to kill myself because I've just been giving everything away. But it's like, once you like decide, okay, well, this, all of this stuff is holding me back from the life that I want to be living. So if I want to get to where I need to go, it's got to go. And so like sentimental value in like t-shirts that I haven't worn in 10 years or whatever, like it all has to go. It all has to go. I have a great shoe collection of going out club and Raven shoes. Guess who hasn't been to a Rave in fucking five, six years? Me. So why do I have these fucking shoes? Because I look at them and I think of the memories and I think about, oh, I could do that. I'm not going to do that. Get out of my life. You know what I mean? So I've kind of been preparing myself for this transition so that, um, you know, get ready, stay ready. And um, going into a minimalist mindset is like a good place to be anyway. So you're not spending money, you're not acquiring more stuff. Um, And it's been really cleansing where I feel like, okay, you know what, this is what's this is what's happening. It's not what I want to do. It's what I'm going to do. And those are two different things um, because there's a lot of things that we want and we get distracted by, I want this, I want that, I want that, I want that. And when I say we, I mean me, right? And so I've just kind of decided, um, gotten back to my kind of headstrong, youthful, um, I don't know, I guess when I was younger, I didn't know enough to know why I couldn't achieve things. So I got more stuff done because I wasn't thinking about the reasons why not. And so I'm back in that headspace where I'm like, okay, no, this is what's happening. And actually anything that comes between me and that is a problem. And I I don't have room in my life to accommodate things that are going to keep me from my goals. I'm not going to get sidelined spending money on, you know, trips to Disney or whatever. That said, I already have a trip to Disney World booked for two weeks from now. But I'm not going to get sidetracked by these things that are going to take my time and my money when what do I want to do? I want to live in a rural area. I hate living in a city. I'm miserable. It's part of why my, I think, marijuana use had really ramped up to... And it's so funny because like my idea of what is like too much is like nothing to most people. But like my marijuana use had ramped up to a point that I find unacceptable. Like getting stoned every day is unacceptable to me. And part of it was that it's just when you live in a city, your mind kind of feels tense like a pressure cooker. And it's nice to have a release valve to pull on that. And like that for me became marijuana. Um, But so it's like, okay, what do I want? I want to not be a bartender. I want to do something that I enjoy enjoy doing and that I can relate to. I don't go to bars. I haven't been to a bar in over a decade. I don't eat garbage food. I can't relate to this thing that I do for a living or these people who are my clients. You know what I do? I work out and I cook food at home. Where should I, what should I do for a living? Probably something that's around in in a more healthy sphere. So like people coming and trying to heal their minds and their bodies through fitness, I fucking get it. Okay, so that's what I want. I want to do that. I want to work in this field that I am insanely passionate about that changed my life and like honestly, like in a lot of ways holds my whole life together. Um, I don't know that I would be able to survive my sort of physical illness that I went through. Um, Plus, you know, just the normal twists and turns of life without having this place that I go to every day where I get to turn my brain off and focus on my body. Um, 
And so, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I'm going to do for a living because uh, I can't support myself as an artist, but what else am I passionate about that I can? Cool. Teaching Pilates. And then what else do I want to do? I want to um, live somewhere rural. I hate living in a city. Okay, well, you know what you got to do? You have to fucking find a place that you can live where it's rural. And there's a lot of land that I've looked at over the past five years, a lot of fantasy um, land shopping. And boy, do I wish uh, pre-pandemic I would have bought some, but I was saving all my money for my surgery, so I didn't. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Shit's expensive now. But that's what we're doing is we're buying this land and it's like, okay, but I also like I do, I don't want to live rural, rural because I'm going to be working with rich people and fancy people I want to fit in. And I like a shower. I like a toilet. You know what I mean? I like utilities in the desert. You're going to want air conditioning. So like a real rural plot of land wouldn't work. Um, But a former town that's since been kind of abandoned there are several residents not a lot though um offers this unique perfection where it's like oh and the other people who live here are also artists who come here to focus on their art perfect so that's kind of where it's like I just feel like I um after so many years of being sick and in survival mode where I just really couldn't think too far ahead of just like I was barely functioning as a person and then once I realized what was wrong and I was getting sicker and sicker it was okay I need to get surgery and then there was a surgery there was a breakup whatever you've been with me through all this shit and it's only now that I have the luxury of being like okay well now what is next now what is next like you I've gotten my health figured out and like and I, you know, all I have to do to maintain it is healthy, healthy, healthy eating and exercise. And I can keep this disease in remission. Fucking awesome. Okay. I've gone through my breakup and, um, fucking survived it. Uh, awesome. Got it. Um, and so now I kind of have the luxury of going, okay, well, what's next in life? What life do I want to have and how the fuck do I build it? Which gets really daunting because like, especially if you are comfortable, you know what I mean? Like, well, bills are paid. You have a place to live. You have a thing to drive. You have someone who fucks you once or twice a week. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, all right, I'm in a comfortable rut. But it's like, for me, that's not enough. Uh, things are very rarely enough for me. So um, anyways, that's the journey I'm on. And um, I just haven't been recording as much because I've been really kind of focusing on... <sighs> Researching all this weird shit that I do for this show is was a way for me to distract myself from my life that I was dissatisfied with. I think that that is a very um, true statement to make that I was never aware of. Um, and so it's kind of like people who love gossip and like when you're obsessed with things outside of yourself, um, it's probably because you're uncomfortable with yourself. So like for me, researching weird sexual quirks and religion was kind of a distraction from how miserable I was, how sick I was, how unfulfilled and unhappy I was, um, all of that stuff. And so I've been putting a lot of work into actually rebuilding myself as a person because it's not enough to survive. I want to flourish. And um, so that's that's kind of where I've been at both like, you know, mentally and also like just time wise. And I've been neglecting this podcast Um, and it's probably going to continue to be 
like that. Um, I'm pretty good about uploading the Patreons once a week, but the main feed, it's going to be slow because I just, it's not, I'm not doing, doing this kind of research is like not my thing. Um, unless I come, God, that was 20 minutes. Sorry guys. Fuck. Do I know how to talk about myself? Um, <clears throat> anyways, so I'm just not in a place to be doing this type of research unless I come along to like, I come upon something. <sighs> I've already talked out and I haven't done the um, topic yet. Hold on. Let me take a, a sip of this sparkling ice, blue raspberry, sugar-free caffeine beverage. <sighs> okay. So I came upon this topic that actually interested me and I wanted to read more about it. And I did. And I read a bunch of articles and I watched a bunch of documentaries. And now you get to hear about it. Finally, right? <laughs> um, I am doing an episode about the castrati. And um, I have you heard the phrase castrato? I felt like it was common knowledge. I thought it was something that we just all knew what it was until I spoke to several people in real life about it. And they said, what? And I'm like, for real? You don't know what this is? What? I thought that we all knew. We all knew. It's like how we all knew what a Merkin was. Um, I thought we all knew what a castrato was. But I had always known about these singers that they would castrate as young boys. Um, so they would maintain their high vocal range because as, you know, men go, boys turn into men, they go through puberty, their voice lowers. And, um, and so there was a practice. And in my mind at the time, I was like, you know, in the long time ago, Renaissance question mark, um, of castrating young boys who were, good singers in order for them to maintain that vocal range and have a career. And there's history of castration in like all of human history, ancient times. Um, there, people always say like, well, it existed in ancient Egypt, um, apparently in Constantinople, the empress um, had a eunuch choir master, but in their culture, um, eunuchs were like a eunuch is someone who's castrated after puberty. So that doesn't have an effect on their voice. Um, the practice, I, they call it the golden age of the castrati, which would be 16th and 17th century, specifically in Italy, um, Catholic church, um, and here's why. Um, so castrato started appearing in Europe around the mid 16th century. Um, and, uh, so basically like the Catholic church, they don't like women very much. Um, and so women were forbidden from singing in, church choirs. And so they would have young boys sing their parts. But, um, you know, if a young boy and also like, okay, working for the church used to be a really big thing in terms of having a career. Like, um, a lot of, and I'm not going to remember specifics because my art history courses were so long ago, but a lot of like the Renaissance 
painters, what they did was they were, you know, you would get a gig where you, the royals, you were like the royal painter or you worked for the church. And the church was a good gig because, you know, you would do the altar pieces and um, we all know about the Sistine Chapel, like, but like they would have these trifolding like altar pieces. And so it was a pretty good gig because the church had money. Um, and so like if you were a poor family and you had a young son who sang in the church choir, it, it was they would get paid. And so it was lucrative for you to have a child in the choir. But if he goes through puberty and his voice changes, it's the end of his career. And so it kind of became this practice where um, they would um, castrate their sons so they wouldn't go through the change and they could maintain a career. I mean, talk about stage mothers. Fucking Dina Lowen has nothing on this. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, I guess it was a thing this article I'm looking at says like in Paris and Munich, like they would they were prevalent or whatever um but the operation was never legal and so they would go to like back alley surgeons now the interesting thing about this is that um i always assumed they castrated them in the way that you castrate a bull which i think they just cut the balls off but from what I researched, it doesn't seem like they did that. Like the old like timey Mesopotamia castrations, they would crush the testicles. In this era, it was most common just to sever the blood supply. So like the boys would keep their testicles, but they would wither and die. So um, and what the practice is, they would take the boy, they'd put him in a warm bath Um they would give him, in some cases they gave them opium, but apparently like that ended up killing the kids. Um, so the opium was like a bad idea, like, cause the, the operation was relatively safe. They knew what they were doing. They'd go in, they'd cut the blood supply. Um, and I think what they did, they had this little, like little clamp, you know, that would cut the blood supply so they could cut open. They would go around the testicles. They could cut it open. They could sever the blood supply or whatever to the testes. And then they would just like, you know, the testes would die. I don't know if they did stitches back then. I would, I would kind of like to know. Um, but it, for the most part, it was, and let me pull up just for dates. I usually like, I decided I'm not going to write out episodes like I used to do at the beginning of the show because it's so much work. Um, but let me pull up the Wikipedia so I can get um, some dates on this. Uh, because eventually they did like outlaw this procedure. Like it was never legal, but then it was specifically outlawed. Um, and I'm not going to find it because I cannot read and talk at the same time. Um, and so, and you know what? Honestly, if you want to listen to about it, I listened to a podcast, a two-parter on a show called Opera After Dark, which is, you guessed it, a podcast about opera. And they cover it um, more academically. But um, so anyways, what was I saying? So the testicles would wither. <laughs> the testes would wither and die. But specifically, it was a thing in Italy was where it was like kind of the jam because it was their Catholic church that was like, no, ladies. Um, in uh, Okay, and actually the Golden Age, okay, it, it showed up in the 16th century, but the Golden Age was the 17th and 18th century where they were 
oh my God, I'm just burping. I'm gasping and burping. Um, castrados became the um, stars of the opera stage. And so they would tour and stuff. And uh, okay, before I get to the culture thing, there's so many interesting things about this. Um, and I, I, I just, I want to tell you all of them all at once. So when you castrate a young man and they would do it between ages eight and 12, and this is important, um, that, that age range is important. We'll get back to it in a moment. Um, because you wanted to get ahead of puberty because that's when the sort of larynx changes and you, um, get a lower voice. So you want to get ahead of that. So your kid's singing in the choir and you think he might have a good career. So you, let's crush his nuts. Um, so he doesn't go into puberty. Also sad note about this is like 80 to 90% of them didn't, did not become professional like opera singers. So it was still like a small chance, which is, it's a big risk to take on a small chance of succeeding, which is like a good comparison to those children who, or those parents who like divorced their spouse and moved to Hollywood with their one kid because their kid booked like a local commercial and now they think their kid's going to be a star and they put, they're all in on this thing. That is such a long shot. And so it's like kind of crazy to be like, well, there's a 10% chance your kid might be famous. We're going to castrate them. But also like poverty will make people do some fucked up shit, right? Um, and so when you do that, obviously the test, the testosterone is made in the testes. <laughs> um, who would have guessed? And so the kid doesn't go through normal puberty, but they do still grow. I mean, they still have their endocrine system that's going to send growth signals. And in fact, they would grow to be very, very tall because testosterone converts into something that tells bones to stop growing. It causes that calcification calcification like when the, the ends get harder trust me I read and watched so many videos on the science of this I am not a scientist or, or a medical doctor so I can't remember all the details but basically without sex hormones you it's not going to signal your bones to stop growing to like get hard seal off at the end stop growing so the the castrato their bone they would grow really really tall because their bones didn't know to stop growing and they were prone to osteoporosis and stuff, which again, it happens with a lack of sex hormones. So they'd be really tall, but have like soft bones. And they also would develop these big barrel chests, which was great in terms of breath, because imagine you're a sick fuck who thinks opera is the highest thing to ever be achieved in the world. So like everything must be sacrificed, including testicles for it to be good. Um, you'd be like, oh, this is so cool. They have the high pitched tone of a boy soprano, but also they have this crazy breath, like they can just hold and sustain notes. So it, they didn't even sound exactly like a normal juvenile boy. They had a different timbre to their voice. Um, wouldn't it be great if I knew a singer who could talk to me about this? Um, Again, just listen to Opera After Dark if you want things to be more technical, if this wets your whistle for this topic. 
So the castrato were really tall, they were lanky, they would have really long, thin legs, but these barrel chests, which in the, there's like some photographs online of a skeleton of a castrato that was dug up and studied, and I read a nature.com article that was way too technical for me about the findings of all the tests they did on the bones, but if you look at it, the head looks very small compared to the rest of the body because the body was so big. Um, and the whole time I've been reading this at these like long legged, barrel chested, tiny voiced people. And I'm just like looking over at my little no nuts dog who is like, he has like the tiniest little legs. They look like straw. And then he has the squeakiest little voice. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, my dog's a castrato. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, and so they were kind of these interesting other species um, because they didn't look like women. They didn't look like men. They were somewhere in between. Uh, some of the famous ones would wear scarves to hide the fact that they didn't have Adam's apples. Um, and like the castrato who, the ones who didn't make it as singers, they kind of were not like exiled, but you would end up in a position, you know, you were like kind of like this hidden thing, you know, kind of like a hunchback because you were just abnormal, which people didn't want to look at you or really fuck with you. You know what I mean? You're othered. You're 100% in the territory of quote unquote the other at that point. Um, and so I cannot imagine the pressure to make it as a singer because otherwise like you're a fucking weirdo for the rest of your life. Um, you're not going to have a family. Like you're not going to have a normal life. Um, but uh, so the interesting thing about the castrato is some of them, like if they were castrated closer to age eight, it was highly unlikely they would have a functional penis. That's right. We're talking about penises, but I'm talking about it when they get to be an adult, not when they're a kid, because that's gross. Um, and so like the earlier they were castrated, the less likely they were to have use of their penis. But the ones who were castrated later, like 12, like maybe they got like a little hit of testosterone or whatever. It was said that a lot of them could maintain erections. So as we moved into the golden age of the castrati and um, it's kind of it's looked down on the procedure's been outlawed people are still getting it and also they would come up with reasons for why their kids were castrated they'd be like oh well he was kicked by a goat like um like that sort of thing it would be like they would come up like why is your kid a castrato and it'd be like oh well there was an accident because you can't say oh I went to an illegal surgeon um and so there were always these cover stories but because it was, it was never legal. It was eventually made explicitly illegal. Um, but these people were still stars and, um, it was, the procedure was really frowned on in England. Like England didn't have castrati. They didn't have, um, it wasn't a thing in their opera, in their churches, nothing. They didn't, they did not condone it. They kind of looked down on it, but, um, women lusted after the castrati. Um, and here's why, um, number one, they're different. They're exotic, right? They're also kind of rock stars because opera stars were the rock stars of the day. So if you have 
a touring opera in town and the castrati would be the star you'd be like you know he's the mick jagger of this operation or whatever and so they would lust after them but also they would number one they made great lovers because they couldn't get them pregnant right so that's a great person to have an affair with is someone whose child you don't have to worry about bearing um i mean my tubes are tied but also like uh I, I've before that I, I had relationships with people with um, who'd had vasectomies and it was really, really wonderful. And now, you know, I, well, I, not only are my tubes tied, they, they, they're incinerated. Um, uh, that's what they do now, folks, is they remove the tubes because they found out uh, most ovarian cancer starts in the fallopian tubes. So if you want tubal ligation, they actually perform what is called a bilateral salpingectomy, um, which means they remove your tubes and it lowers your rates or your chances of ovarian cancer. The more you know. But um, not only that, but my boyfriend has had a vasectomy. And so it's real nice. It's real nice, right? It's really nice knowing that you can have sex without consequence um except for catching feelings that's really dangerous uh and i've done it more than i'm more times than i'm proud of in my life anyways so these people not only are they rock stars but they also can't get you pregnant so that's a nice uh, thing for a lover um and also they had kind of feminine features and were pretty and so, like, that was a thing people liked, like, in the same way that I have a friend who's like, yeah, dude, I love chicks with dicks, like, um, and I used to be a big fan of T.S. Madison, who is, uh, well, was a transsexual porn star now, I think she's more of, like, a social media, online media performer, she's hilarious, but, like, she never did hormones, like, her titties are just, her ass and titties are just silicone injections, um, and when she did porn, her site was bigdickbitch.com, and, um, she has a fully functioning penis, and I'm like, that's kind of hot, like, you've got these nice titties, you got a big old dick, like, it's exciting and exotic, and so I think that was kind of how the castrati were, where it's like, well, you're a man, but you don't have, they wouldn't grow facial hair, um, they also wouldn't lose their hair because testosterone is the main theory as to like what causes hair loss is testosterone. So without testosterone, and I think it's like, it's a specific strain of testosterone. I feel like they called strain. Um, DHT, is that a thing? Anyways, I can't remember. But without testosterone, they would have like a nice healthy hairline. They would have like a soft feminine face. Um, and if they got castrated late enough, they would have a functioning wiener. But even if they didn't, they were known to be like really good lovers because they would care about the needs of their partner. <laughs> So like, because like they couldn't ejaculate, right? Even if they could get hard, they couldn't ejaculate. And there was this saying about castrati, um, all mouth, no trousers, which it was a double entendre because, you know, they didn't have balls and they sang for a living, but also they, if they couldn't get hard, they would perform oral sex on the women, which is very, very exciting. And so like these women were like, would lust after them and want to have affairs with them and stuff because it's like, you're pretty, you're soft, your hair is nice and you're going to actually get me off. Like how fucking exciting. So I, I kind of love that, that we think of, you know, being a eunuch, being, you know, uh, it, as it being like an emasculating thing or how degrading or whatever, like you don't have 
balls. But it turns out that like a lack of testicles did not cause women to shy away from them. I mean, some of them, some of the famous ones were like notably unattractive. Um, but like some of them, like they just like, yeah, like it made them more alluring. And I think that says a lot about like women, um, you know, our, our sexual uh, orientation obviously tends more towards are you a caring uh attentive lover oh you're gonna get me off like I don't give a fuck if like your dick doesn't get hard and you don't have balls but like are we gonna make love are we gonna kiss we're gonna caress you're gonna go down on me like it just all like because for us it's like we don't really care about this stuff I don't care like we don't care oh you don't have an Adam's apple oh who can you know what I mean oh you can't grow facial hair like this like women or men are more particular about like physical characteristics I think um than um women are so I I love I love that for these guys that they were sex symbols because I think just like what a weird life to live is like you're singing in a choir you go to a back alley surgeon you have this weird operation you're different from everybody around you um but yet like, and people would think, like, oh, he's not a real man. And a lot of times, like, in the history of, like, men being castrated, it was as, like, punishment. Or, like, I've even read about, like, servants being castrated so that they won't, you know, be a threat to the wife of the household. So I think it's so cool that it's, like, this thing that is seen as being so emasculating and dehumanizing that it's, like, oh, no, these guys still got to be um, sex symbols. And that's pretty, um, pretty exciting for them. Um, what else did I have to say about Castrati? Um, it's, there's only one audio recording of a Castrato singing and it's because, well, like we didn't have recordings. So this guy, uh, I believe it was Farinelli. Nope, 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 nope. That's a different guy. The guy that we can hear singing. Oh, here we go. The last Castrato. So the last role to be written for Castrato was that of Armando in Maya Beer's uh, Il Crociato in Egito. Obviously, I don't know Italian. I don't know much about opera. Um, so uh, castration was made illegal after the unification of Italy in 1861. Wow, that is later than I thought. I thought it was the late 1600s. <laughs> Um, okay, so castration was made illegal um, in 1861, but it wasn't until 1878 that Pope Leo XIII banned the church from hiring castrati. Because so, that's the thing. Okay, I thought it was made illegal earlier, but people just kept doing it. Um, but it's, it's when it no longer becomes lucrative. Like, money talks. Laws don't really do a lot, but money does. So... Obviously, even if it's illegal, you're going to keep crunching your boys nuts if you think it'll get you money. But if they immediately take away the market for it, i.e. the church, the Pope bans the church from hiring them, that's going to stop the practice. Um, okay. And the official end came in 1903 when Pius X declared, whenever it is desirable to employ the high voices of sopranos and contraltos, these parts must be taken by boys, according to the most ancient usage of the church. Still not hiring women. <laughs> um, uh, so the, um, this guy, the last castrato was, um, he, what was his name? Alessandro Moreschi. 
And he was the last castrato to sing in the Sistine Chapel Choir. And the record of him singing is from 1902. Um, he retired a few years later in 1913. And so when people, people play this on podcasts and uh, documentaries about castrati, and they always preface it by saying like, yes, we do have this recording of a castrato, but it is not entirely representative of what they sounded like because he was no longer in the prime of his career he was older um and so uh that's the sort of um what do they call it like the uh the preface to that um so you can look it up online and you can just type in castrati las castrati or like whatever um and so, and people, you know, it's, this is, it's the closest we'll get to hearing a voice that has disappeared forever from the classical world. And I guess there's a film about a castrato where they um, basically kind of layered three different people's voices and did some modulation to approximate what they think the voice would sound like because it's crazy. Like anthropologists can dig up skeletons of like early man and like assess based on the bone structure, like what, how the larynx and stuff would have worked. And they can kind of cre recreate using a computer what that sound would have, like in the same way they can kind of guess what dinosaurs sounded like because they just, they know that much about how sound is produced from the body that they can judged by the skeleton but I, I probably will I forget the name of that movie but I'm probably gonna try I'm gonna try to find it and watch it but yeah you can check that out it's very haunting I mean but it, all opera is kind of haunting um so the guy Farinelli I was talking about earlier he's like the most famous um one I think in all records is he the guy whose skeleton I saw hold on let me open up my you like listening to people read their, um, read their viewing history. Um, boopie, doo -doo -doo. we're going to pull it up. Um, where is this one? I'm going to find the name of the guy they dug up. There's another one. Oh, Gaspar Pacirotti. Is that good? I saw the Gucci movie. I can speak Italian. <laughs> In case you thought I was a smart person, I literally left the theater after seeing the Gucci movie, which I really enjoyed and a lot of people didn't. But I literally left the theater going, I bet I could learn Italian. Like they don't even speak Italian in that movie. They have Italian accents. And I left the theater going, I bet I could learn to speak Italian. I intensely studied Spanish for years and I don't speak fucking Spanish. But my dumb ass thinks, oh yeah, I just watched Lady Gaga with an accent. I bet I could, I bet I could learn a new language. And I probably can't because I'm just, that's not where my intellect lies. I struggle with language. Um, okay, but anyways, this guy, Gasparre Pacirotti, he was, he lived 1740 to 1821 and you can view his skeleton online. And it is like crazy. You know what it looks like? It looks like, you know, that, um, talking heads video where David Byrne is wearing the giant suit. It looks like the body that suit was made for. <laughs> is, that a, is that an obscure enough reference for you guys? We all know. Hopefully. Yeah. Listen, there's some 40 year olds listening to this. You know what's up. Um, so anyways, that's what it looked like. But um, I digress. So this one guy, let's talk about Farinelli because he was one of the most famous musicians of his time, but also 
he was um uh like he, he still is one of the most famous uh castrados and he um he's like what comes up in all your research so it says that his parents this, this is not wor worded great. It says his parents probably decided to find someone to operate on him as a result of his father's death, which would actually mean his mother probably decided, not his parents, because his dad was fucking dead. So his mother probably decided to find someone to operate on him as a result of his father's death. Um, having a castrato in the family could bring in a lot of money. Excellent. Um... And then, so I guess like in modern opera, they'll have a countertenor perform the parts that would originally have been performed by a castrato. And I, I don't really know what a countertenor sounds like, but um, I reckon after I'm done recording, I'm going to look it up. Um, this is how the musicians who heard uh, Farinelli sing described him. He had a penetrating, full, rich, bright, and well-modulated soprano voice with a range at that time from the A below middle C to the D two octaves above middle C. So if you're not a musician, that's fucking high-pitched. His intonation was pure, his trill beautiful, his breath control extraordinary, and his throat very agile. Whew, hey -oh. All mouth, no trousers. Um, okay, so that he performed the widest intervals quickly and the greatest ease uh, and certainty. Um, so yeah, he was like a favorite of uh, Spanish royalty. Like he fucking traveled around. He was kind of a big deal. I wonder if he's the guy that movie was based off of. Um, you know, we'll find out. Um, and maybe I'll put it in the notes. But anyways, I think I found this to be very interesting because, um, number one, the medical reasons, like the long bones and stuff like it, I, I had previously thought it was just the voice that was different. I didn't realize like the growth patterns changed and, and these kids, they were prone to, um, osteoporosis later on. I think I noted that. The interesting thing too about the skeletons that they've examined is that there was wearing in the cervical spine, which would be the vertebra of your neck. And they think that was from moving the head around while singing. Um, and not just from, you know, having low bone density. And then the one they were like, yeah, and there was like scapular, like they could tell that there were strong muscles around the scapula, probably from waving his arms around while singing. So that's kind of, you know, I, I usually come at things from the scientific angle and I thought that was really interesting but also the idea that until not that long ago like 120 years ago this was still a common thing okay like we have outlawed at this point like most countries the U.S. included have outlawed slavery but yet we're still castrating young boys to become singers. Like that's so crazy because a lot of times when you hear things and I think I did just assume like, oh, it was 15, 1600, like it was in the long ago. Um, but like the fact that we have a recording of, of one singing is evidence that this went on into modernity and like that's just fucking crazy that this was the, this was this cultural phenomenon that went on for um let me let me do math that it went on for 
over 300 years, um, 400 years, it was a thing. It was a thing that people did. That's a long time for like a fad. Um, you know, if you think back to T-Pain and when everyone was using um, an auto-tune, like extreme auto-tune for that vocal effect, that didn't last that long. Um, but... <laughs> like that I compared that I'm like you know all the greats Farnelli T-Pain <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's so crazy because it's something we think about um that is so kind of savage and it was part of like normal society and also there's a rumor that Michael Jackson was chemically castrated um and I don't know, you know, maybe that's something I'll research and talk about in the future. Um, that doctor who was sent to jail for murdering him claims that he was chemically castrated as a child, which is why he's like, oh, well, he couldn't have sexually abused kids. He was chemically castrated, which also I believe in chemical castration because some places offer that for sex offenders and pedophiles is a shot that you have to get regularly. It's not like a shot you get one time and it lasts for forever chemical castration because I remember 20 years ago seeing it on 2020 like this like pedophile when he got out of jail he did like he got out early for doing voluntary chemical chemical castration which basically he would get a shot like once a month that would kill his testosterone but that doesn't mean like a lack of testosterone doesn't mean you're capable you're incapable of sexual assault right I mean, we already established that these, the castrati were sought after as lovers and not necessarily for, you know, penetrative sex, but for all the other aspects of lovemaking. So the idea that if you couldn't get erections, you couldn't possibly commit sex crimes is crazy because like a lot of like what was going on with these kids that they say in the Finding Neverland documentary was like tickling and cuddling and sucking and that sort of stuff. Um, they, it wasn't just like, oh, we're in a fuck. Um, because guess what? Sex is more than penetration. And so, you know, being either completely unable to get an erection or semi unable to get an erection does not mean that you cannot commit sex crimes. Obviously, if you fucking you know, do diddly stuff with your hand to a child that is sexual assault or pedophilia. You know what I mean? So like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? He couldn't have been a sex criminal. He was chemically castrated as a child. Um, I mean, you're a fucking criminal doctor. You murdered someone. Um, but, uh, so that's crazy. But the theory about him being chemically castrated or castrated has been a lot around for a long time because he did have such a high pitched voice and like his older brothers, he was the youngest, his older brothers all had very like low voices. They were very masculine looking. And like he was definitely, he sounded different um, than the rest of his family. But, you know, who, who knows? It could be through vocal training. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, Joe Jackson is still a monster, whether or not he castrated his son. And I guess I'll research it and maybe update you guys. Um, but anyways, yeah, thanks. Uh, have a happy hump day now that I've talked about crushing balls for an hour. <laughs> Bye, guys.